Welcome to the Just Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. Today, I'm really excited to have Mark Polymeropoulos back on the show again. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. You pronounced my name correctly. So uh, we're off to a great start. That's, not everybody does that. <laughs> I was trying. I was really right. trying. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, so sad. Last time we were on the show, we had some recording issues. We'll, we'll get some clips up from that. Thank you so much for coming back, though. Of course. Um, so can you talk about, uh, you know, two plus decades uh, protecting our country and way of life? Sure. So, you know, I, I had, you know, I had I had in, in what many people would think would be kind of an unconventional light as a CIA case officer and an operations manager. And I spent, you know, almost, you know, three years in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and did some crazy things. But but and, and of course, this was, you know, designed to to protect Americans, uh, you know, primarily the counterterrorism sphere. But in reality, you know, I, I was very much like other, you know, peers of mine. And so, you know, it's it's I, I like coming on shows and, and, and talking about some of the things I did and the leadership principles. But you know, I was not remarkable. Um, there are a lot of heroes out there. I would not consider myself one at all. And, and you know, we just, we paid the rent to the United States and it's, it's something, you know, you, you live in the shadows, you work in the shadows, um, you get satisfaction from knowing that you're helping protect Americans. You know, you're not gonna get a pat in the head from the general public, but, but that's okay. So um, was it was it 26 years? How much was, how long was it all together? 26 years uh, altogether. You know, I, I remember I walked in the door in January of 1993. Ironically, if you remember, the very tragic uh, incident uh, of uh, Miral Kanthi, uh, uh, who shot up some CIA officers at the front gate of Langley. Um, that was my first week there, uh, which, which of course, you know, that, what, what a you know what a sign for things to come. Um, you know, the first account I ever had was on Afghanistan in 1993-94. Amazingly enough, um, and you know, there's the rise of the Taliban. I mean, really kind of remarkable that that this you know kind of uh, you know something we work, we all worked on for years and years. Um, I started off as an analyst. And uh, for the first uh, two years of my career, and then I wanted to switch over on the operational side, and I successfully lobbied my immediate boss at the time, a guy by the name of John Brennan, later became the director. And I went to him one time and I said, I don't want to, you know, be an analyst anymore. I want to be a case officer. He said, sure, no problem. Which, of course, as I joked with him later on, meant that I was probably the world's world's worst analyst. They let me go. Uh, but he still they kept me in the organization. And I had just, you know, I had a really fulfilling career, um, you know, uh, you know, all, you know, primarily in the Middle East, um, but really doing things kind of to help, help protect fellow Americans. And, you know, I think I really believe in public service. I talk about this all the time to a lot of colleges um, and obviously college kids who are interested in national security, because I think, you know, passing the torch to the next generation, that was always the thing at the end of my career, especially that, that gave me the most satisfaction. It doesn't matter about individual awards, but it's, it's making sure to pass the torch and making sure that this is still, you know, a fulfilling career for, uh, uh, for, for young folks. And I think it is. Yeah. You know, I've heard you talk about, um, 9-11 and where you were and, and the effects of walking around afterwards. Could you share some of that with people? Sure. I mean, what a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a seminal event for all of us. I mean, 9-11 really changed everything, um, certainly in the national security sphere, but for the CIA in particular. Um, I was actually, you know, so I was, I, I got to be careful on how I say this. I was, I was just, uh, working in New York City. Um, I was not there that day. Just by chance, we we're actually on vacation. But my daughter's world, my daughter's daycare center, um, she was an infant, was at World Trade Center 5. And, and when I made it back there, you know, several days later, and I was assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which, you know, is, is something that's certainly out in the public sphere. These are, these are uh, in, in essence, fusion centers located all over the U.S., which is, you know, staffed by uh, members of different agencies run by the FBI, but for obviously for counterterrorism purposes. And so I was assigned to that, and I spent, you know, a bunch of time in New York City uh, uh, after... 
but but I maybe five or six days after the events, I walked through the World Trade Center, the wreckage, ground zero, and it was still on fire. It was still smoldering. It was a scene of unimaginable horror, obviously still carnage and bodies, you know, who were incinerated. It was awful. But what, what sticks in my mind, and I'll get goosebumps even talking about it today, is, you know, and I don't know if it was the New York police or fire department uh, member, but there's someone who was dressed in kind of full, you know, kilt, Scottish kilt, and they're playing the bagpipes, walking through ground zero through the haze at night. And again, I have chills talking about it, but, you know, that really kind of, for a lot of us, that kind of defines almost the rest of our careers, uh, you know, across the Middle East, across the globe. But really, really an amazing moment. Uh, and just, you know, unimaginable tragedy. The one thing, I, you know, let me just add one other thing. I know I'm, I'm going on too long now, but, you know, being in New York City after 9-11, which was, was extraordinary, and I don't think we have that anymore. There was a sense of unity in the city, in the country. You know, you saw in, you know, uh, President Bush um, come speak at Grand Zero, Mayor Giuliani, who obviously has become an enormously controversial figure now, but was you know, really did do a lot of great things in terms of a, the leader of the city at the time. Uh, but, but, you know, I remember I lived on the Upper East Side and I remember there was, this is a great story. There was a, 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 a local pizza parlor owned by an Egyptian American. I was worried about him and, and he, he hung an American flag outside the pizza parlor and people were coming in. And again, there was this just feeling of unity amongst the city and, and the country. I don't think we have that anymore, but that's what I remember the most. Can you talk about adaptability and what it was like inside the agency when all of a sudden there's all sorts of folks, you know, heading over to countries we haven't been in, people who who had not been in a non-permissive environment before. And like, you know, you going to Africa and making it over there and just um, maybe some of the principles that you saw that, sure. that actually worked for adapting to a completely new world for them. You know, there's there's a line that was used that I love, and I use this in all my leadership talks uh, uh, because you can, you're, then you can adapt this. But, you know, every day, September 12th, that was our motto. Um, meaning like, you know, let's get at it right now. You know, that America was attacked. There were, remember, there's a huge fear that a second wave was coming. Uh, and Al-Qaeda was, you know, obviously had, had conducted the most spectacular terrorist attack in, in, really in, in world history. Um, and we were worried that they, you know, they were, they were still coming at us. So, so, you know, every day is September 12th. So think about that. So, you know, people did adapt. And, you know, when, you, when you're trained as a CIA case officer, you're training kind of the core principles, the tradecraft that we use, which is, you know, spotting, assessing, um, you know, developing, uh, recruiting and then handling agents. Uh, and the other things you can learn, you know, so, you know, get some, you know, uh, we have you know, obviously rudimentary paramilitary training, you get some weapons training, uh, but you were, you, you know, you kind of had those street smarts already as you went through, you know, your whole training cycle and even over several operational tours. And, and then it was a question of, you know, off we go to places like, you know, uh, you know, South Asia. Um, but again, I think that, that, you know, the, the esprit de corps was, okay, you know, maybe I'm used to living or, you know, working in a European capital or in an Asian capital or uh, in the Middle East, but now I'm in a war zone. But you know what? You know, you know, we, we, there's there's nobody else standing at the ramparts. Uh, we're and I, I felt that all the time when we were there. Um, and I, that's, you know, I, was, I even even later on in my career, I would pass that on to others because if you're looking at people like, okay, is there any, is the cavalry coming? You know, we're there's nobody else. And this, you know, there, this this of course includes the SOP community, the Special Operations Forces community as well. Um, but really, an amazing feeling that. Uh, Sure, we're going to adapt. You know, let's go. One of the one of the great things about CIA is is you know you are always thrust into situations where there is kind of you know this unknown, and getting getting comfortable in the uncomfortable is something that takes a little bit of time. But then you 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 really realize that's you know that's your forte. You know, that's actually your sweet spot. And once you're in that position, um, it actually you know okay, let's go. And um, sure, we don't have an expo plan. All right, there's you know there's no medevac or cats back. 
all right, well, that's not great, <laughs> but you know, let's get at it. And, uh, and you know, the U.S. government asks us to do some strange things and, and we're the ones who kind of answer the bell. Well, one of the things I'm fascinated, and I want to talk more about the farm and tradecraft and all sorts sure. of stuff. I, I, I've, I've loved your other interviews you've done. And, um, but maybe one right there is thinking about, you know, I was talking with some of the other case officers that have been on kind of what we were talking about before the show, like at Child Rescue wanting to teach more state and local cops, you know, instead of just like essentially blackmail of, a, of somebody of like, do this, we're going to put you back in jail, right? Like, how do you genuinely befriend? Sure. How do you genuinely create rapport where this is like more like a partnership? They're, you know, a source is not your employee. They're not under your thumb being, being forced into this. You're actually almost helping them with something they want to get done in life, right? You got it. And, you know, to me, the, the most fun part about that job was the agent handling piece, the recruitment piece and the agent handling piece, because there's a couple of things. One is you have the, the agent's life in your hands. Uh, let me just kind of preface this as, you know, we're intelligence officers. An agent is someone we recruit. This is not like the FBI or the DEA. An agent is a, a Russian, Chinese, you know, Iranian official. So it's somebody who agrees to spy on their country for the United States. But, but in essence, you know, you make this pact and you, you know, you're, the pact is to keep them safe. Uh, and, and, and the process of kind of, you know, gaining their trust is, is you know, you, you, you nailed it in the sense of we don't recruit people based on coercion um, or blackmail because it doesn't work. It's not long lasting. So ultimately, you know, my job, if I'm looking at you as a potential target for recruitment, I'm looking for, you know, what makes you tick. You know, what are your motivations? And some people are not recruitable. And that's just a fact. You know, it's not going to be the wily case officer who convinces you. But you know what? You may, you know, maybe something happened in your in, in your professional um, standing where you didn't get promoted. Or maybe you're, you're a member of a religious minority in that country. Maybe you have a, a relative who needs medical care in the United States. Um, obviously, you know, uh, if you have financial, you know, issues, that might be something. But, but I'm looking at some things that are ultimately going to cause you to, uh, or, or, you know, uh, cause you to betray your country. And, and kind of the last piece of that is, you know, it, it doesn't hurt that, you know, we're from the United States of America. And it's, regardless of what you think about America today, and there's a lot of obviously controversies, you know, we still are, uh, you know, the land of economic and political freedom. And, and the thing is that if you go to any U.S. embassy overseas, the line at the consular section to get a visa is, is, is around the corner, even if there's political turmoil, turmoil in the U.S. Because again, you know, I, I still, you know, I still believe in that, you know, that old kind of adage, you know, the, the, what is it, the bright shining city on a hill because of the, the political and economic freedoms. And so, you know, put all together in a package that America has a lot to offer. Um, and uh, I'm looking at kind of vulnerabilities, uh, you know, in your, in your life, you know, that's how you go about very slowly over time gaining someone's trust. And, uh, you know, that's how we recruit uh, agents. And we, we really do not do it based on, you know, coercion or blackmail that other countries do. The Russians do, you know, was, you know the, other countries absolutely do, but we don't because we don't feel it actually works. You know, you want someone to be an agent for a significant period of time. So they have to believe in this, buy into it. So, um, I've heard other case officers talk about it as from a personal safety standpoint. The other thought is like they didn't really want to be in a dark alley in the middle of the night alone with somebody who that's thinking like, wow, the only thing between me and you getting out from under my thumb is you slitting my throat. Right. Right. Let me, let me tell you, there's, here's a great story because it, it's, it's completely opposite. The fact, you know, I was, you know, and again, I, this is sanitized a bit, um, but I was, I was training an Arab diplomat who had agreed to work for us. He had, he had agreed to work for us and not gone back into his home country. And we were doing it on the streets of Europe and it was tradecraft. It was, it was communications devices. It was surveillance detection routes. These are things on how you meet an agent securely. 
And he took me aside one time and it was an amazing story because he, he said, he goes, Mark, look, I know that, you know, we're going to meet maybe once a month or so. And so you're going to think of me in the meeting preparation, of course, the, the, the meeting day. Um, I know, I know you care about me, want to keep me safe, but you, you know, I know you have a family here, you have other things you have to do. So maybe you think about me for a couple of days a month. But he said, I'm going to think about you every single day of every single hour, because if you make one mistake, I'm going to die, you know, and, and, and my family and my tribe will be executed as well. So you have to be perfect. And I walked away from that. I was a junior officer at the time, and I was kind of struck by the responsibility that a CIA case officer has. So it's almost the other way around what you were just describing. It's not that I'm worried about my agent. If the agent is looking at me to actually keep them safe. And, and again, there's not many jobs in the U.S. government or anywhere where someone literally, someone's, you know, live is in your hands all the time. And, and I, I would tell this story to all the officers, you know, later on when I was, you know, managing uh, for CIA, you know, when I was in, in the field or even at home, um, because I was like, you know, this is what we do. You better take this seriously. And so, you know, that to me is the, I, would, I called it always, a, it's, you know, it's a psych 501, it's not a psych 101 class, it's a psych 501 class. Because look at that personal relationship you have with someone. It, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. And, it, you know, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's a romance. It's, I, I don't know what to call it, but it's, it's nothing like I've experienced in my personal life. Um, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, certainly because, you know, again, you make a mistake, someone's going to die. So, again, talking to a number of other case officers, I've heard it very related to romance, to sales, to these other parts of our life where there's a lot of choice on both parts. And... And you need to attract them to want to have a relationship with you and an enduring one that might have some bumps in it. You know, it's like, right. yeah. it's, 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 how do you get someone to want to be your business partner? How do you get someone to be a romantic partner? You know, these, these type of things. Um, you know, the movies so often, um, they are focused on what's going to sell tickets. They're focused on, right. uh, what, what's the most fantastical thing, you know, right. Um, and even when you get, the things that are at least, you know, former case officers tell me are somewhat closer to their world. You see a lot of like, okay, how does the case officer get trained? You know, whether it's Brad Pitt and Spy Game or Colin Farrell and the recruit right. or something. But but what <laughs> we don't see a lot of is then Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, after he recruits his agent, makes the pitch, uh, spending time with that agent, teaching them tradecraft on right. how to not get caught and executed by their own government. Like we don't, we don't really get that in the books and the movies a lot. Um, can you can you shed any light on just the pressure there, or like like let's say you're, you're a gentleman and you know he's he's from the Middle East, where again not just he's going to get killed, his family and his tribe are all going right. to get massacred, right? And it's like such an important skill set of like he's doing an SDR and can we you know can we have this turn half you know can I map this route so that I can turn back and see if I'm being followed, but it doesn't look like it at these choke points and stuff and and um well let's even talk about that like okay you're like i know we're hardly going to see each other but we better be in the black when we see each other right right and, and so and there's the, the key part of that too is that so i can my tradecraft can be really good but i got to make sure that that agent's tradecraft is good i want him followed either and so that you know and that's an unknown so you know I, you know hopefully they're listening to me and be but, you know, the, the one thing that that I often found uh, in our business, there's obviously a pressure to recruit. It's like sales. So case officers who do a lot of recruiting are going to get rewarded. But you know what? The handling part of it, which is doing what? It's obtaining, F, it's called FI, foreign intelligence information. That's why we do this. The handling of an agent has, is an art in and of itself as well, because you have to keep them motivated. You have to keep them safe. You have to keep them trained up. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many agents... I would sit there, I'd explain them, okay, for security reasons, you should do this. No, no, I got it. I know my, I know best. And you're just like, 
No. And you know, you'd patiently have to kind of go over, well, you really should take more precautions. One of the things that we found often the trips up agents is, you know, we pay them. And so all of a sudden there's a windfall of cash they have. So we're saying very clearly, don't flaunt this. And of course, what do they do? They roll in with a new Jaguar in the foreign ministry of XYZ country. It makes no sense. And then they're under suspicion. And then they, so a lot of times they get caught. So it's, but it's little things like that, which, you know, in the handling of someone was really, really important. Um, uh, because again, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's having an agent who is someone who's going to be around for a while, who's going to have success that we call them turnovers. So the recruiting officer to the handling officer to another handling officer, you institutionalize this, uh, you know, this arrangement, they'll work with the United States government. I mean, I would do something. I did great things over my career, which are really fun. It's not, not all that novel, but you know, at one point I was handling so super high level penetration of another government. And I actually had at the time, the CIA director, and this is a really important uh, 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 agent, but he actually, we, you know, we recorded a video. So the CIA director is talking to this person and I took it to an agent meeting and played it. Enormous motivation. This guy then was rock solid for another year, but that's what you're doing. You're thinking, okay, what does this person need? And, and I think the other part of it too, and you know, maybe some, you know, look, there's, there's all different kinds of case officers. I always thought being authentic was really important. And you know, it's what I teach in leadership as well. So you know, you know, authenticity means, you know, means, um, you know, not, not being a used car salesman, um, you know, you know, when the agent's doing something right, you tell them that when they're doing something wrong, you have to kind of school them on that. If there's a, if there's a drop in some of their production, you have to figure out why, you know, it's not a gravy train. We're not going to pay you forever. And they're, it is transactional. Um, but that authenticity piece is really important as well. And, 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 you know, if you, as, as I, as I, uh, yeah, I'm retired now, so I, I don't anymore when I still at the agency and we had resettled some agents, I would, I would see them every once in a while. So they're done. Um, and maybe they're living in the United States or whatever, but, but you know, the, the, what they would describe, uh, as the importance with their case officer was extraordinary. It's exactly what I'm talking about here. I mean, it was, there was a bond that is, that they'll never forget again, because you know, that, you know, you had their life in their hands. It's yeah. pretty, pretty amazing. So you think about this, like there's so much pressure of having their life you know, having, having their lives in your hands. Right. Right. And, and especially if there's maybe some overconfidence on their part where it's almost like being a defensive driver, you got to drive yourself Absolutely. and for them. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, other folks at the show we've talked about of like, Hey, you know, being on the X, like, Hey, we want, we, we want to approach this from different places. We have the least amount of time of, of being seen together at the same time. Right. Of what about when somebody like, they're not like, you've got this new agent, you're, you're trying to get ready for the handling, whatever. And it's car pickups and you're trying to teach them about screening and flow and they're not quite getting it or like, what, how do you, I mean, when it's such, they're like such important skills that's like your safety, their safety, their family's safety, and they're not picking it up quickly. Then they're not ready for going inside. And, and, you know, so your job as a case officer is going to, is going to be to say to the, to the U S government, okay, this person is either ready for it or he's not. And, and, and that's a hard call to make. And there's a lot of pressure on you to make the right call. It's easy to just say they're ready, but if they're not, they're going to get caught. And what can that cause? That could cause, you know, obviously the death of the agent. It caused, you know, that you can get cooked out of the country. It could cause a diplomatic crisis in a bilateral in a relationship as well. So, so you have to make that call. This person is ready or they're not ready. And, and, and look, there's, I, I've had in my career agent candidates who had everything that you think would make an, an outstanding Asian, but you know what? They were just, they were not good on the street. They didn't have those street smarts. And then you know what you do? You walk away. Or you say something like, we can never meet you inside. You know, whenever you come out, maybe we'll meet you. But 
but you know, that's, and, and that's, you know, that's something that, that, you know, kind of professionally, you have to take pride in your ability to assess whether someone is going to be able to do this or not. And, you know, it's sometimes, you know, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the amazing thing, and this goes for even case officers as well, or, or, or people in, in the case officer pipeline. And some people are just, you know, I, I gotta be careful what I say. Some people are just not, you know, not good on the street. They don't have street smarts. You know, they, they don't have that ability to have the hair go up on the back of their neck when something's wrong or they can't detect surveillance. Um, so, you know, that's, they're just not suitable for this type of job and that's okay. And so it's the same thing for an agent. Hey, if this person can't hack it inside, can't do this and you walk away. And yeah. that, that's the, that is, the, and so, so think about it. That goes to kind of the other things I tried to really kind of live in and, and abide by is about ethics and integrity. Um, that's an ethical call. You can't put someone in danger, you know, yeah, unnecessarily. No even if they're willing to put themselves there. Absolutely. You know, okay, so for people who their only exposure to this stuff is the movies or books or something, can right. you give people a sense of what somebody good on the street is? Like, I've got an agent, you're like, yeah, he's going to work. You know, let's just talk about car pickups for a second there. It's like, okay, screening and flow. Like, they know, like, they have a sense for like, hey, I'm going to go around the corner where if there is surveillance, it's hard for them to physically see me because I'm screened. And... And like, this is something that's natural. Things are going, like, wh when it comes to a principle like that of screening and flow, wh what's an example of like an agent that's like, yep, they get it? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to get into details of sure. pickups or anything like that, but but no, I mean, it's, it's just the idea of kind of ha having, you know, your situational awareness. I mean, you know, yeah. what are the surroundings around you? So it's the ability to say, you know, maybe I've seen this person before, or, um, you know, this something looks off here, or, I mean, you know, so it's, but it's it's not terribly difficult. But you know, it's the it's the I don't know. It's the you know brilliant college professor who is going to walk across. You know, if he doesn't walk across in a crosswalk, is going to get a going to get hit because they're you know they're, they're you know their head is in their book that they're reading. So it's it's pretty basic stuff. But a lot of people don't have that. And but so again, it's it's just the ability to follow directions. Um, uh, you know, to look natural. But but ultimately, it's the kind of thing where you know it, 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 you, you can train some of this. Um, yeah. but a lot of it is also kind of just instinctual. It's the same thing with, you know, the case officer in the street. Again, it's, you know, if you, I, I go through some of these things when I talk about, um, kind of key processes that or, or any organization needs. So if you're a Navy SEAL, you got to do two things. You can, you got to be able to swim, you know, dive, you know, be, obviously swim and shoot. Um, for CIA case officer, you got to run the SDR. You know, if you can't run a surveillance or a cop, you got to pass your, you know, your, you know, your basic, you know, weapons qualification. But if you can't, you, if, as a, as a CIA case officer, if you can't run an SDR successfully, meaning detecting surveillance, you can't do this job. Um, and again, that means, you know, can you detect if someone is following you using tradecraft techniques that are very basic that we teach you, um, but some people just can't do. And that's okay. But, you know, it's, yeah. the job's not made for everyone. Just like, you know, an agent, sometimes an agent. So it's, you know, perfect example. I mean, you know, this is, you know, kind of getting into the weeds a little bit. I mean, you know, if, uh, uh, if, and, and and there's ways to kind of mitigate these things, um, but if uh, if for some you know if for whatever reason this an uh, individual doesn't have an ability to determine if someone's following them, um, you can't you, you know we can't handle them inside a country, and that's okay. So let's talk about that without without sharing anything you're not supposed to share. Can you talk about like good case officers versus the best case officers, sure. and just like yeah. their mindset on their SDR, like. Like, what is it that's different about them when they're out there? It okay, was like so just the top tier, right? You know, so but so now, now we're going to get into a little bit because, because there's there's case so it, there was always rivalries within the agency. So we had you know the the officers who kind of did you know the hard target countries, 
Um, they were the ones that we called, you know, doing kind of sticks and bricks. They, they, you know, they were served in places like Moscow or Beijing, um, which had, you know, the, the absolute most sophisticated tradecraft. Uh, and so, and they were trained at a higher level than, for example, like myself, I was, I was a case officer working in the Middle East, but my forte was more on recruiting and handling, but, you know, left, left a strict counterintelligence environment, but much more on, on recruiting agents. Um, and so, you know, we like, we kind of all go, always go back and forth and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, everyone kind of wants to think they can do both really well, but that's not necessarily the case because if you work kind of hard target countries and you spent all your time in the hardest counterintelligence environments, you actually didn't recruit as much. That's not your job. Your job was to handle. Um, if you were in the Middle East and Africa, you were a recruiting machine and, and, and your job is to kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, overturn as many rocks. Uh, and it's a less strict counterintelligence environments in some places. Um, and so, so again, it, it takes, it takes different kinds. I think that, you know, for, for case officers who, you know, again, it was not me, um, but who kind of were, were at the, you know, the, the height of the kind of the tradecraft expertise, it is obviously attention to detail, really, you know, really being super smart in the streets. I mean, again, you know, do you have the ability to, to understand over a three, four, five hour surveillance detection route? Uh, you know, process, you know, uh, you know, people you've seen in the past, you know, you know, possibly were, 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 uh, were following you and, can, you know, can you do it based on, you know, not only what they're wearing, but things that were they, you know, which it would be hard for them to change their clothes or so not the same jacket, but maybe it's the same shoes because they would change jackets or, um, what about, you know, different vehicles, um, that, that were following you or, you know, things like that. And, uh, then, so, you know, some of my colleagues who did kind of the, that really hard stuff were, were absolutely remarkable in this. Um, but maybe weren't as good at the, at the recruiting side of the house because they didn't get that opportunity like, like I did. And so, so, you know, there, it takes, and, and so, you know, it's so a, let me just, the last piece is the way to get a really well-rounded case officer at the end of their career after 20 years is they did a lot of everything. So they served in the counterintelligence environment. Maybe they went to a war zone. Maybe they went to a recruiting tour down in Africa where they, where they had that ability. And so putting that all together, um, that, that was kind of a rare breed where you had someone who was really good at everything. I, uh, you know, admit I had a great career. I had, you know, a lot of fancy hardware that gathers dust in my basement, which doesn't really, nobody really cares about. Um, but, but ultimately, uh, I would, you know, I was not a sticks and bricks kind of, you know, former Soviet bloc, uh, case officer. That wasn't me. And my, and my, by the way, my friends make, who did do that stuff, make fun of me all the time about it. And of course I make fun of them that they couldn't recruit, you know, a volunteer who kind of walked in and said, here, I'm yours. And they would think that's a, you know, it's a, it's a provocation. Well, it can't be true because everybody's bad. So we always have that kind of teasing, you know, making, making fun of each other and this kind of stuff. Well, I, I want to flip it. I want to go the other direction. Let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, decent, good, and best in the world for sure. recruiting and handling. Um, right. When you think about, think about your colleagues that you have the most respect for, just the, yep. the absolute best at recruiting and handling. Yeah. What's different about them? What? Two things. Easy. Two things. One is uh, uh, honesty and integrity. Um, for me, that was everything. It's and that's not easy in our line of work. There were case officers who did not have that, um, uh, and you kind of know who they are. Uh, but ultimately, uh, uh, don't forget, it's a job where you're on your own. So if you are with an agent, they're providing you perhaps in a car meeting if we were to do such a thing. Um, uh, uh, and, and perhaps they're verbally telling you minutes of. A meeting they had with their foreign minister, and there's a there's a there, you know and and our secretary of state is about to go to, to you know to a to a summit, so they're telling you things that you then you know there's nothing's written down, you're taking notes so they're not giving you a document, but what you say is going to be read by the secretary of state. There's an integrity piece there. Maybe you're paying them 
six figures. Maybe you're carrying a lot of money. Maybe you, you're on an SDR, surveillance detection route, and you're not sure of your status. And you're like, you just say, F it, I'm going to the, I'm going to the meeting. Yeah. That's a little ethically dubious. So there's so, so if for the, the biggest thing for me, um, 100% was, uh, was, was without a doubt ethic. And number two is, is something that I just called, especially in recruiting is just the grind. You know, it's overturning rocks. And so one of the things I would do with patients that have a, I'd have a, we call it a stand up morning meeting. You're not really standing up, but, but the CIA case office is expected to go out every night. That's your job. So if you don't, you know, again, when I talk to kind of young people coming in, Hey, guess what? Six out of seven nights, you're out in the street and you have your day job. And I don't really care because you work for another institution, the U.S. government, and it's fake. And if you're really good at that, you know, the, the second secretary in the concert section, I'm actually going to get pissed because I don't want, I don't care what you do there, but you're working at night for us. And so ultimately, um, uh, you're overturning rocks and it's the grind of, of, you know, finding as many people as possible, um, who you can recruit and then going out with them time and again to find that what makes them tick the motivations. And it, I would always say that, you know, and this is the, it, like, I was terrible at this and I got better at the end of my career. Like, the, you know, everyone wants to have work-life balance. It's really hard as a case officer. And I got much better at it later in my career because I was acting like a jerk sometimes, but I literally remember going to a European station and gathering the case officers together because they weren't actually going out as much as the station chief wanted. And I was coming as the kind of senior heavy from headquarters. And, and I said, I said, at the end of your tour, I want you crawling up that walkway onto the plane, nearly half dead because you worked so hard. And it caused a huge stink and it, it, it was not well received. And I shouldn't have done what, you know, instead of that, but, but, but the point remains that, you know, you got to overturn rocks. It's a grind. And if you want to be a good recruiter, you're out there every single night. Now you don't have to be, I, you know, I obviously have a type A personnel. You don't have to be like me. You can be an introvert. I'll never forget an agent I, that I handled. I didn't recruit. Uh, and he told me when he walked in, he didn't walk in when he volunteered. And I said, how did you choose the CIA case officer? And he said, well, he definitely wasn't like you, you know, loud mouth, you know, American to New Jersey. Um, he said he was the guy who sat in the back row, went to every reception, but never said anything. And I, and, and I said, and he said, he goes, that's the guy who's going to keep me safe. And I love that story because introverts can be really good at this as well, because at the end of the day, you know, you got to keep your agent safe. And so again, it's so I would say ethics, integrity, and then, and then just grinding it out Two two key attributes. Yeah. Let, let's talk about grinding first, going out every night, you know, yeah. um, we've been talking about, you know, at, Child Rescue Association. By the way, anybody listening who either has expertise want to help or they want to donate to this, please please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me or something. But um, you know, we want to help give regular cops advanced skills for getting into these organizations that are selling children mm -hmm. to other adults to be abused for money, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be a situation where they don't have a handoff. Like they are they are starting from there's no handover. They're starting from scratch. They're and um, they're, this is a new skill set for them. And, uh, and they're, working, they're working home. So they're going to have the advantage that they're not going to have to have a separate day job. You know, right. they, could, <laughs> they could just go out every night, right? But um, thinking, of that, thinking of that mindset of, of being out there and, and um, being able to help people rationalize to themselves why they keep seeing you and learning how people tick and stuff. Right. What kind of advice do you have for, for people who are, taking this on as a new skill set and a, you know, something quite different than being able to show their badge sure. and gun and get compliance everywhere. Well, I mean, think of it as a challenge. And so, you know, the, the job of, of recruiting and it's, I hate saying sales because I don't, I don't like thinking of that, but the, the job of recruiting, I mean, it's, it's a challenge to, again, find out what people tick, uh, what makes people tick. Um, you know, it's, it's to gain someone's trust. It's to be approachable. 
Um, you know, and so, uh, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll take a lot of kind of, you know, legwork, background work. I mean, one of the things that, that has been a gift to every intelligence service on the planet is social media, because social media offers the ability to do a targeting package on anyone on the planet. So if you think, or any of your you know, listeners now think that, you know, when, you know, that, that a, a, a hostile service couldn't find out, you know, what time they, you know, where they go every day, where they shop. I mean, you know, you're putting stuff on Facebook and Instagram, um, you know, and Twitter and Snapchat on and on. And so, so there's ways for an individual to do some kind of homework. And, and, you know, it's just simply, you know, so, so the way we would get close to a target would be, hey, this person loves the English Premier League soccer. Great. Guess what? So do I. I'm going to do a little homework on it and make sure I know, you know, who, you know, who Liverpool beat last week. Uh, but it's, it's things like that. And so, but, but you can, you can do that via, via, we call it a targeting studies, but just, it's, it's pretty easy just kind of doing your homework, you know, you know, talking to people on, on, you know, uh, Facebook or Instagram or, or, or Twitter. And so, um, it, but it's a challenge, you know, if I'm going to get inside your head and see what, what makes you tick. And, but by the way, sometimes it doesn't work. Again, if you think you can kind of with your wily ways, get everyone, you know, to come over to the, to the good side, that, that ain't going to happen, but that's okay. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's overturning rocks and moving forward. Um, I think, and you know, the, in the scenarios you're talking about as well, and if you have a legitimate bad guy, bad person, um, then it's a little different Then you know, you're not going to give up necessarily, but you're, you're going to find something that, um, that, that, you know, you, or you gain access to that individual. Everybody has interests. Everybody has motivation. I mean, the, the joke is, you know, that the CIK's officers like, you know, oh, great. This Russian love bird watching. I'm going to be the world's foremost expert in the next month. I'm going to watch videos or read books on bird watching. I'd like to not really do this, frankly. But you know what? I'm going to get really good at it. And so, you know, that's just, that's what you do. And, and what, by the way, when you find someone like, you know, I, I'll never forget, and I could probably talk about this. This is years and years ago. And then it, um, there was a target who, this is, sounds so silly, but who loved Metallica. And I love Metallica. I grew up like I'm a Jersey kid. And I was like, thank God I took this individual to a Metallica concert. I remember my boss is like, this is such BS because they knew I loved this. I'm like, why? Finally, I found someone compatible interest. I'm actually genuinely interested in this. Uh, so, uh, I will say I harassed a bunch of my friends. I, so I, I, uh, I've been to a, a ton of concerts, but I've been to a number of concerts. And uh, Metallica's top on my list to see. They finally came to Salt Lake. There you go. And I was texting all my friends. I was like, I've got an extra ticket. Right. You know, I've got an opportunity to get an extra ticket, whatever. And I had a few friends right back be like, oh, I'm not really into too into Metallica too much. I was like, you just got severely downgraded on the friends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, so let, let's talk about this. Um, this idea of befriending people. Like, so you've yeah. done, you know, you've done great source identification and you've done your homework and, and you know who they are and you know how, how you're going to approach and um, these kind of things. But like when you're live in the moment, um, yeah. I've had a number of, of different folks, whether it's the soft community or the Intel community talk about like, Hey, sometimes the guys we have to work with, uh, are not really a good dude. Like, oh, totally. I wouldn't hey. want to spend time with them regularly. Right. Right. And yeah. they're like, but I, I've had to like try and discover redeeming a redeeming trait about them. And then I talk to that redeeming trait or I, you know, I have to figure out they're still a person. And even right. though parts of their life, I, I really despise. I have to find the other parts of their life that I can identify with. Or do you see it similar or different? Or, or how do you become friends when you're right. actually, you've done all the homework, but now you really got to do it. Look, it, it, to me, it was always acting. Um, and it's okay. Cause you know, again, because it, it, it's the target, whether it's a Russian or Iran, an Iranian or, you know, an Al Qaeda, you know, member, I mean, it, you know, there's, there's an end goal here and that's to obtain foreign intelligence. And so, you know, but to me, that was never, 
difficult. It's, it's, it's acting. If you learn that down the farm or be, well, I'll say down the farm, the worst kept secret of all time. Um, but you know, you learn that in training. Uh, um, so it's, so, so to me it's acting and it's, and, but, but I mean, you know, you can, you know, uh, kind of, you know, uh, push yourself off, off. And I guess the target is being authentic because again, you know what they like. Um, you know, I've never, this is, again, this was, this is one of these, just, I, I remember I was, it was, it was, uh, probably can't say the nationality, but it was, it was an individual who was very senior in a, in a certain government. And he was, he was a part of the Ba'ath party. The Ba'ath party is in Iraq and Syria, lots of different places. And I remember my first contact when I first met them. And, and I said, I said, well, you know, I, I, we're talking and, and I said, I said, you know, I've actually read, you know, Michelle Aflock, the founder of the Ba'ath party and his original kind of works in 1960. And this target was like. I've never met anybody who actually took the time to do this. And so I was like, you know, check, that was good because, you know, it, now I have no interest in this whatsoever, um, but I just did my homework. And so to, to me, it was acting. I mean, you know, you're, you're right in the sense, I mean, one of the things that, that, you know, perhaps a little uh, uh, is worth exploring is a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the people who recruit, you know, have some really, really horrible qualities in them. Um, uh, sometimes they, they have some things in terms of their past that, you know, we need even kind of a legal check on if they, you know, if they engage in human rights abuses or something awful, but you know, the U S government deems that, okay, we still have to try to bring this person on board because it would be so beneficial to the United States, but this person has done a lot of really bad stuff in the past. Um, you know, but you know what? So if they agree to work for the United States government, you still have that, that absolute commitment to them to keep them safe. Um, because, because, you know, there's a determination made that they're giving us information that's going to save us lives or have such an impact in U.S. foreign policy that it's worth it. But there's a gray area there. Um, and, and, you know, we don't recruit Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. And, and that's just something that, uh, that you have to kind of t- come to terms with. There is a greater good in the end of all of this. First, you know, every once in a while, you know, especially as you're, as you're reading, let's say you're picking up a case, you're reading the file of this individual and, and you're like, that they've done some bad things in the past. And, you know, they, you know, we've, probably gotten some kind of waiver from the lawyers, but, but this is, this is not a good person, but you know what? There's, there's something good that's going to come, come over this in the end. I mean, I guess for me, sometimes it's surprising that, that people, that that isn't completely obvious. I mean, like in our case, it's like, whether it's one of the big national gangs or one of the multinational gangs that are much more sophisticated in the way they're, unfortunately, like in the United States, there's these different triangles, like they'll do, uh, Seattle, Seattle, Salt Lake, Vegas, or Seattle, Salt Lake, right. LA, and they'll move them so quickly that are like maybe every three weeks so that it's hard for our cops to build a case. Like they know our laws and they use them against us, right? Of course they do. Yeah. So the kind of person who's high enough up in an organization to know where are they moving the girls and when or stuff like this, like, isn't it just like basic logic that that would have to be the kind of person who associates with people like that to know that type of information? Right, like, right. Like, how is this a shock to anyone? But right, you but know, so um, you know, and so you know, the 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 perfect example of this. It's not a perfect example, but you know, so so or you know, we for us to recruit, for example, a penetration of a terrorist group who has killed. If this individual has killed Americans, actually has blood on their hands, that's that's yeah, a very very tough one. Tough. We actually don't do that. Yeah, um, okay. because because actually, what we want to do is probably bring them to justice. Um, but so, so, you know, but, but again, is it a, is it a member of a group? Is it, maybe it's a financier, maybe it's someone a little bit in the periphery. And so you're like, okay, you know, you know, morally, ethically, we can, we can deal with their involvement in this group. They don't have complete blood on their hands, although you could argue that they, they, they have some, uh, but again, but it, it's, it, it, you know, but it's, so again, it, you know, as you said before, there's, uh, but 
I don't know. You know, it, these are these are things that that and, and and but I think there's there's something else to be said for you know. So if you're if you're the case officer or in, the, in your case the comps who are, um, you know, trying to kind of you know penetrate these groups and recruit individuals. I mean, you know, there's yeah, you, know, you have to understand you're going to be dealing with some pr- pretty rough folks. I think the difference in law enforcement, you know, because they use different terms, as you know. So you know, the, you know that it's a the the kind of the slang that would be a snitch or the the technical term is a, is a CI, confidential informant. It's not an agent. It's not a source. And, and and we treat our agents, our sources in a much better fashion than law enforcement does. There's no question about that. I would I would argue with an FBI agent all day because, again, these are people who, um, you know, we come we have a, a pretty serious bond with. And, and I don't think they're they're seen in the same kind of light as law enforcement sees those that they end up kind of recruiting and handling. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It's just always my sense. Well, what I agree with is that is traditionally the way it is. Right. And, um, you know, maybe one exception that I've seen is uh, like the highest level of federal law enforcement, like counterintelligence officers. Right. Those are the guys that I see more like you. Yeah. um, More so than the other folks. And, you know, in some ways it's like a kinder, more gentler form of law enforcement to like actually build a real relationship instead of just the, putting the screws to an informant. Well, look, the, I mean? the FBI has recruited penetrations of hostile intelligence services. So yeah. whether it's, you know, the, the New York field office, you know, or the Washington field office, you know, recruiting a Russian spy who's assigned to the U.S., you know, the Russian embassy yeah. in Washington. Well, that's, that's, a ser- that's serious business. I agree with you on that. And, um, and that's the kind much of different, though, than like, a, you know, a source that they have or a CI, yeah, a, a, tradi- a traditional informant. Yeah. Right? right. And I think uh, that's what we we're so lucky to have, you know, some of your former colleagues who who are going to teach unclassified versions of this. So that I get right. the full meal deal. <laughs> right. 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 Um, but teaching like because it is a different mindset, you know, it is befriending that that like almost romantic style relationship. It's like yeah. it's like, uh, you know, like starting a bromance. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right? And and this is not the academy didn't train them for this. They're right. they're being on the beat didn't train them for this. Like this will be a stretch for some. And yet, so we've got we've got three cities so far that are begging for it. We're just raising money, right? And uh, some of those guys are just there's there's some of the guys who are the actual ones who are going to be in the training that they just it almost seems like um, it's almost like a high school athlete being like, hold on, I get a I get a, I get to join the NBA training camp. Like right. you, you well, like Michael, Michael and Scotty are going to come. Right, right, yeah. sure. Are going to come to me. Like there, there's some guys that are. I mean, I look at our chances, and I'd be interested if you see it different. It's like I think my, my our chances are going to be kind of like most like corporate trainings, where it's like twenty percent that think it's a waste of time, twenty percent that thinks it's the best thing they've ever heard of, yeah. and about sixty percent in the middle that could go either way depending totally. what their bosses say or what their yes. experience. That's kind of my guess. What do you think? You know, every leadership talk I do to corporate clients, is I say the same thing. I'm like, hey, if I can get through a couple people, I'm fine. And that's okay. But because here's what happens. If you get through to a couple people, they get interested in this. They tell other people like-minded in their organization who also are interested. And it kind of, it can, it can grow from there. Okay. I want to keep talking about honesty, integrity, and the grind. But let's, let's take a left turn for a minute. Let's okay. talk about the book. Let's talk about yeah. the leadership training. Let's tell people about your website. Sure, sure. So I, you know, when I retired from the agency, I wrote a book, Clarity in Crisis: Leadership Lessons from the CIA, and basically, it's it's eight core principles, kind of, then, you know, that that build on each other. But it's the, it's the notion of of how to lead in crisis situations where there's a lack of situational awareness. 
Um, you know, it's, it's being comfortable in the gray. I mean, I, and these are all a lot of cliches, but again, it's being comfortable in the uncomfortable and being the one to raise their hand and saying, you know, okay, I, I'm okay in this situation where everybody else, um, you know, wants to flee. They don't want to be there. And, and I got really good at that at the end of my career. And then I was, I was kind of, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a great leader at the beginning of my career. Great leaders are, are certainly not poor. They're made. And I, you know, I, I will argue this all day because I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of training and, and experience that goes into becoming a great leader. But ultimately at the end of my career, I, I realized that, you know, I, I was the one who was very comfortable when kind of the crap hit the fan. Um, and so I wrote a book on it with kind of just core principle, um, you know, how to deal with adversity, how to train to, to, to overcome adversity, how to use adversity as kind of, I call it your super fuel. Um, I talk about, um, you know, the, 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 a great characteristic that I, that I love about, about humility. Um, I think great leaders and especially and teams that, um, that can really succeed in, in times of crisis are humble. Um, I look at processes, you know, every, every organization has two or three processes that have to be maintained. And if you have that as a foundational, uh, you know, part of your organization, you're going to be fine, uh, in, in tough times. And so, uh, uh, and, you know, and so I, you know, I put it on paper, I write the book and I go around, I, I, I do a lot with, uh, with law enforcement. I spend a lot of time shuttling back and forth to Philadelphia with Philly cops. Um, I'm a huge, you know, sports fan. So I deal with, you know, high school and college baseball teams. I just got back from the university of Louisiana where I talked to their, their, uh, uh, their team. And so it just, it, you know, it really has resonated, um, with, with some great groups. And, you know, I, I, I've talked to Google, I've talked to Instagram and I've talked to the Fairfax County, you know, teachers association of all places. They brought in a CIA guy and I was like, how's this going to go? And I, I got to actually be careful and not talk about some of the crazy stuff that in some of my speech, I talked about, you know, kinetic operations, these teachers for three hours went, went nuts with this. They loved it. It was one of the best sessions, interactive sessions I ever had. And so, you know, I, I do it for lots of different clients. I have a lot of fun. I'll travel around the world. I'll do it over Zoom. Hopefully, you know, with, with COVID, you know, now kind of hopefully being in our past, you know, uh, things live are, are coming back. I mean, you know, that was, that was not fun doing things remotely because the, you know, my leadership talk is about 90 minutes. It's, it's, it's enormously interactive. So I'll challenge people after every principle, like, let's talk about this. And so it's a lot of fun. I, I've really never had a bad review. And then I've had some some really wonderful sessions with a lot of the groups that I never thought would be so kind of receptive to this. Well, um, as a guy who re who's read many hundreds of books in the last uh, dozen years, uh, yours made it way up for oh, me. Thank you. I, I, uh, I was such a fan. I mean, that's how we got connected. I was like, sure. There, there's a lot of good books. And I just thought yours was, it was, um, it wasn't just packed. I mean, like having the experience of, you know, going from yourself to being in charge of a thousand plus people, like you've right. got your own leadership journey to talk about from, but, um, but it was just, it was so entertaining while being impactful yeah. that it's been very easy to refer to others. So, uh, my, my compliments on the book, uh, tell people the website if they want to connect. Sure. Uh, it's my name is Mark polymeropolis.com. So it's, it's M-A-R-C-P-O-L-Y-M-E-R-O-P-O-U-L-O-S.com. Uh, and so you can jump on there. There's some videos from some of the talks, uh, uh, you know, obviously there's a link to the book and there's a contact page where, you know, if, if people are interested in having to come and again, it's, I, I will talk to every, uh, you know, all, all different kinds of, uh, of audiences. Um, and so again, it's, it's, it's been this, you know, everyone has this kind of crazy life journey. I mean, I talk about it in the book, my life journey from being a middle-class kid in New Jersey to joining the CIA, but even in retirement, this has been pretty wild. I mean, every once in a while, you know, there's, I know, you know, there, there's so many ways to, to talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, how people kind of, uh, uh, do things that are uncomfortable, but I, I, every once in a while I'll have kind of imposter syndrome. Um, you know, so I was this case officer in the back alleys of, you know, Damascus or, or Cairo, 
And all of a sudden I'm on, you know, uh, you know, I'm on MSNBC on Morning Joe talking about Russia, Ukraine, a million people watching, or I'm giving a, you know, a lecture at the American Baseball, you know, Coaches Association, you know, there's 7,000 people watching me talk about baseball. And I, every once in a while, I kind of pinch myself. I'm like, what am I doing here? But uh, it's been quite a journey. So that's actually fun. I mean, I think that one of the things that uh, if any lesson I can kind of give people um, is, is keep putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, challenge yourself. That's really good, especially, you know, you know, as you, as you kind of, you know, think about second careers or things like that. I mean, I retired when I was 50. And so I just, I think I had some more years left in the tank. And so, you know, when I, every once in a while, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, wow, this has been quite a journey. So it's, it's been fun. And then, you know, something else might come up, you know, in the next couple of years. I don't know. I, you know, your life, your life takes different turns. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, before we go back to my questions for a minute, quick, sure. quick plug on my end. Um, we're, you know, our business, Greystoke Networks, we make shows basically like other investment fund managers and CEOs who are like, I want a show like yours just to meet all these rich folks and fancy people, whatever, be great for our business. Right. That's what we do. And then, but what we're also doing for folks who maybe they're not sure about that or that's outside the budget, I'm actually just teaching a free class for anybody who wants to make their own podcast show like this. And, and how right. do you, you know, how do you reach out to really high profile clients? Uh, so, so just email me, come to the website, go to greystokenetworks.com. Go to LinkedIn, whatever, if you, if you want to take the class. Oh, for, yeah. for free. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. I, so, so, okay, you know, my success in this leadership genre is going to be the same way I either succeed or failed in my role as a case officer recruiting folks. It's the grind. I mean, you know, so, so I, I, you know, I, I give a talk one day in front of 200. I, was, I went down to Miami and talked to 200 people. And then I'll do a talk and 10 people will show up. It's it just whatever. And, you know, you know, I, I just, you know, there's, you just got to keep on grinding and it's, you know, it, it is, uh, it, and it's, it's just, you know, you keep on trying to find clients who are interested in you. Um, some are repeat clients, um, but, but, you know, my, my, uh, my stepbrother, who's an ER doc and he is a, such an amazing story. He's a mercy room doc in New York. His stories during COVID were harrowing of, of dead bodies filing up everywhere. He has, he also had this side business where, um, he has a company that does kind of remote health. Um, uh, which, which of course was, you know, th that business exploded. But I remember at, at one point I, on, a, on a book tour where the book tour had huge success sometimes, you know, I went to the U.S. Naval Academy and there was lines, you know, out the door. Um, and then another time I went to, a, a, I did a, did a book signing and like four people showed up. And I remember I wrote him a note, complained to him. And he's like, he's like, look, and he, he's running a, a multi-million dollar business. And he said, he goes, you know, hey, I was up in the middle of winter in Buffalo, New York. Nothing wrong with Buffalo. I went to Cornell. I, went to, I loved it. The guy loved upstate New York. But I said, he goes, I was, you know, there was, it was 20 below out with the wind chill. And I'm sitting at this sales table and nobody's there for hours. So he goes, you know, suck it up. It's the grind. You want to be a success in anything you do. You're going to have to kind of, you know, just, just, you know, keep plugging at it. And so, so, so that, that, that's, that's kind of my motto and, you know, what I'm doing now with the leadership genre. Well, one thing I would love to ask your, your opinion about there is, there's this great book by this uh, professor at Northeastern, used to be at Notre Dame, named uh, Albert Laszlo Barabasi, okay? It's called The Formula. And right. he basically, like, they just studied, they studied all these people who were successful. And they said, you know, from sports stars to artists to scientists and stuff. And basically, what they said is that, like, uh, they're counting success as what your community gives back to you. So if you're a scientist, right. that's citations. Yeah. If you're a sports person, maybe that's dollars from um, dollars from from uh, sponsorships or something, right? If you're an artist, it's it's dollars from your paintings being sold. Like that that was their version of success. The the rewards society give back to you. So for business people, let's just call it profits, okay? Right. Okay. And he says performance is about you. 
he says, this is like, if you're in something objective like sports, you're really not going to get success unless you have high numbers. Like, did you win? Did you win all the matches in tennis? Did you win all the games in right. football? Whatever, right? But he says, if it's not incredibly objective, then it depends on uh, what people's opinion of your performance is. So he's like, right. in, you know, fine art that's like, you know, abstract fine art where movie stars can't tell if it's $70 or 70 million. You know, like, right. it's much more about like what gallery picked you up or who says what about you. He's like, for most of us, it's somewhere in between there. Right. It's kind of like your performance, which is all about you, multiplied by other people's observation and perception of that performance over time. So it's like, if you're really awesome, but nobody finds out, you're probably not going to make a lot of money. Right? right. Or if if you have a really high profile and everybody knows you, but but you don't have great performance that they know you for, yeah. that's also not sure. going to make a lot. Sure, sure. And so I feel like in my business, I'm spending time with CEOs or investment fund managers who are like, they really objectively have good performance. They spent two decades or they spent a decade, whatever. There's some fast growing startup who, who honestly has something better, right? right? But, you know, in society, like we just constantly get told what's your grades on your test in school. Right. But like, yeah. We all get taught over and over, like it's your performance, it's your performance. And, and then we get real frustrated when it's like, I have a high performance, but yeah. I'm not seeing the success. Right. And so it's like, then you find out, oh, there's this whole other skill set of getting the word out. And like, yeah. and it's not just having people hear about you, it's hearing about you being associated with the right people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, right. like in, in what circles was I associated with when they found out about me? Is sure, it, right. Right? So I'm interested for you, um, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about Havana Syndrome like, like last time. Sure, sure. Everybody should go watch Mark's other interviews and hear about cr crazy attack he... he Unfortunately, uh, suffered from essentially a mystery weapon that, that right. we don't know that's been happening, unfortunately, to, to lots of our folks in different embassies and all over the country. But um, kind of forced into early retirement medically there a bit. And um, but, you know, like you got to the point where you got a thousand people reporting to you being offered like, was it ADDO? What, what were you being offered at that point? I mean, like that's I mean, that's like the, the upper echelons, like. In the military, you, that's going from like your SES as a one-star general up to. Yeah. No, I mean, I retired the equivalent of a four-star, but, you know, we, we did things like the, you know, the nine box exercises, which everyone in the business world knows. And I was on, you know, the upper kind of tier of, of, you know, you know, the next generation of senior leadership and the director of operations. I mean, so there was, yeah, was you know, when I, when I think back, you know, so, so the CIA is a, it's a, it, it certainly can be a, uh, it's a, there's incredible camaraderie, but there's also a lot of jealousy. So someone might say, oh, Mark is a jerk. But no one's ever going to say Mark was a bad officer. I'm being serious now. I mean, I was, I was, you know, very successful at, at the organization. Uh, they might not like some things I do or say now, and, and uh, uh, but, but ultimately, um, uh, you know, I mean, this is this is something that kind of took me off uh, off the playing field. But going back to what you're what you're, what you're saying now is it, it's uh, it's so much what not what I'm struggling to do, but I'm still kind of finding my way in the sense of, you know, what's the what's the you know what's the right venue to get, you know, a multinational in London to call and give you a $60,000 speech for an hour. You know, how do I get to that place? Now I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm nibbling around the edges, but I'm not there yet. And, and so, and, and, and but what I've told myself is, you know, Ed, the journey is important. And as I, as I refine my talk and I'm much more comfortable in, in, in speaking in front of huge audiences, 
Um, you know, that I have to enjoy the journey. You know, I'll get there some point, maybe so, maybe not, but, but I can't, that can't be for me, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the measure of, of my success. It's, it'll be nice, but ultimately because, and, and I'll tell you why, because every once in a while I'll do a speech in, even in front of a small group and it'll really resonate with one or two people. And then I'll, I'll hear later on, Hey, you, you know, the, the perfect example is the Philadelphia police department. I make no money going there. And I go, I go back and forth constantly. These are cops in the street in the most dangerous place in the country, in, in, you know, in, the, in the, some of the districts in Philly. And I, I took my son to a Phillies game. It's only about a two-hour drive. And I'm walking through the stadium there, and cops that I've met are stomping me with their family saying, hey, there, that's the CIA guy. Thank you. You know, you've helped me. And so to me, you know, I got a lot. I didn't get a single penny from that. Um, so I got a lot out of that as well. So you have to kind of, I think, you know, kind of gauge on, you know, what your, you know, your measure of success um, but certainly breaking into that kind of stratosphere of of big money, you know, leadership talks. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm going to try to get there. And again, it's, it's just the grind. I got to keep on talking to keep on doing things. I, I rarely say no to, a, you know, an event. Um, you know, sometimes I should, but it's, uh, you know, because I, I enjoy doing it as well. Maybe I need some advice from you off, offline. Uh, happy, happy to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm just sitting here chuckling because this is just like a testament of your humility. I was bringing all that up to talk about your success. Do you yeah. know how many? Do you know how many people I know from your world who, who uh, would like to do the work you're doing that that aren't? And so, like, my point was was not what you haven't achieved yet. It's what right. you have. Like, yeah. like you look at the book, you look at um, all the different shows you're on, and um, being on national television and these kind of things. Yeah. And I guess my point was this: I wanted to get you to reflect on the idea of. Just spending 26 years at the point of the spear isn't enough. Yeah. People still have to find out. You still yes. had to write the book. You're still yeah. doing, you know, like shows like mine and then awesome shows as well. And <laughs> every show is awesome. I, don't, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's, I, I, and again, I'll do a podcast which has massive reach. And I'll do a podcast. I did a podcast the other day. I'm not going to say who it is. I think this person has probably 10 followers. He's, you know, and, and, but he's, he's just started. And they said, would you come on? Sure, why not? It's an hour of my time. And they were like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm so appreciative. Why? I mean, I'm not, I'm not special, you know, I, and, but here, but here's, here's a really, uh, I think here's a, here's a, a good point in terms of kind of, you know, uh, you know, my humility and it comes and, and I use these sports analogies all the time. And I'm just a massive sports fan. And I look at that. I'm, I'm not a New York Yankees fan. I'm a Red Boston Red Sox fan, but I love Derek Jeter and Derek Jeter, you know, he just did this incredible uh, ESPN documentary. Um, and at the end, you know, he, he says he, he was never satisfied as a, as a player. You know, he always wanted something more. And there's, and some people, and I think I have this, it's not necessarily a good trait, but you know, you're always, you're, you know, no matter what you do, you're always going to say, well, I, I want more, or I haven't done enough, or, you know, you want to kind of keep on, 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 on climbing to the top. And you genuinely don't believe that you're such, you know, that, that, that you're all that great. Um, and of course, you know, and Derek Jr. used to say, you know, he, hate, he, he hated to lose more than he loved to win. Um, so you know, there's a, there's a little kick on. My wife says it to me all the time. She's like, "Would you please be happy? You were just on Morning Joe's, a million people watching. Half of our friends are saying how great you were." And I'm thinking like, that wasn't that good. But I, I you know, I'm not on next week. So why did they book me next week? They don't do they not like me anymore? Like, and you know, but and, but but as you think about it, I was a success as a case officer because I had that drive. You know, so you recruit one agent um, in your tour. Like, I got to get more. Um, it just was never enough. And I think, you know, some of the, some really successful people in life, and I'm not saying I'm one of them, but I kind of had that weird tick in them that, uh, that, you know, it's just this drive to just keep going. And I certainly have that too. I had so much 
Humility is unbelievable. I, I, you know, I, I, when I'm on TV several times a week, I screw up hits, TV hits constantly. And I beat myself up about it. And then I'll watch it. And I'm like, God, that wasn't that bad. What was I talking about? And meanwhile, you know, I haven't slept the night before. So. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to agree with you that there's probably some work you could do on the uh, <laughs> celebrating the wins. Yes. But, but to me, it actually makes life really fun to be like, if, if we can celebrate our wins, to say, that was great, but why stop having fun now? What can we do next? You know, yeah. and like, I think that ratio can get out of whack, right. for sure, because um, I maybe suffer from some of myself of, of only living in the future and right. not celebrating the wins. Yeah. But, um, but I guess I'll ask this a different way. Sure. I talk to a number of folks out of the special operations community, out of the intel community, who they, they want to bring these lessons to the business world. They want to be a consultant. Yeah. They do something like this. And um, they're very, very annoyed to find out just building the background wasn't enough. And so yeah. if you had to give a pep talk to them on why write the book, why start the podcast, why sure. do the public speaking, why, you know, the other half of that formula, like the performance plus having oh, people sure. yeah. be able to deserve it. Right. If you had to make a sales pitch for like, hey, guys, I know you paid your dues for two decades. Right. Yeah. And that is half the formula you know, here's why it's actually worth the super annoying, painful process of writing a book. Yep. Here, here, like, do the speeches, do the shows, whatever. What, what would be your advice oh, to them? I have, such, I have such a great answer to this. Because, again, you know, so, so you can, you get in the door with the three letters, the alphabet soup agencies, so, or, or whatever it is with the, you know, with the, with the special forces or SEAL teams or whatever. So you're in the door. Um, but by agent at, uh, uh, at uh, WME, um, my literary agent, at one point he said to me, he goes, Tell me why someone's going to pay $28 for your book. Why? If, you know, you're a CIA guy. So what? So give me the so what? And the answer to me was I wanted to write a leadership book based on principles that I learned and how to succeed in times of crisis. You know, in, again, in, you know, where you have a lack of situational awareness and there's just kind of core fundamentals. And he's like, okay, I got that. That'll work. And the reason why it works for you, by the way, is because no one else from the CIA has done this. Everybody, you know, you go, I'm, all my friends from the SEAL team will be mad when I say this. You go through Buzz training and you get your book deal, right? That's the joke we always say. Um, but, you know, but so there's tons of former special operations forces who've done leadership stuff. But for me, it was a unique niche. Okay, no one from the agency had, or maybe not. I, I just, I didn't know. Um, and it was very, it was, it was, it was also during a time, think about it. My book came out, you know, during the time of COVID. So really, you know, uh, uh, you know, messy situation in the business world. So people like that idea. How do we get people to thrive when, when, when you know, the, the chips are down? And so, um, and so I, I would also say that, uh, again, I, gotta, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not dinging other people. You know, it shouldn't be a story based on a singular event. And so a lot of the special operations world has been involved in some pretty heroic things. You can, you can go on the speaking circuit for for some time with that but that's not you know that and, and maybe they'll you can you can get very wealthy and do this but from the corporate side of things it, that doesn't really help anybody it's it's it going to get everyone excited that you were involved in this in this event but but in terms of day-to-day -day, when you're you're talking to middle management and say okay how do you deal with this and so you know again it's it's the my it's the phrase that i, that I loved with that agent used for me you know why should someone pay 28 bucks for your book or 20 bucks or whatever it is why should someone give you two thousand dollars to do a zoom call or Hopefully fifty thousand dollars to do a corporate speech, which hasn't happened. Um, but you know, so so, but they, they, you know, they, they, there's got to be a value added. What are you? What are you contributing? Um, uh, uh, and and it, it can't just be your war stories, which are good, 
quickly. Like, for example, all the war stories I talk about in my book and, and, and you know, in, in my, in my talk and I, and people love this stuff, but it's based on a principle. So, you know, what I say, and one of my principles is adversity is the performance enhancing drug to success. It's, you know, adversity is really important. That's how, you know, you know, it builds resiliency. Um, it, you know, it really kind of builds these battle tested teams. And then I give examples of how I went through a lot of adversity and I tell a kind of a crazy story. Well, that crazy story is not, was not the basis of the talk. The basis of the talk is the principle. Okay. I think that that is not talked about near enough. You know, there's this guy, Joe Polizzi from the Content Marketing Institute. He's got a group called Tilt now that he sold CMI. Um, his book, Content Inc., like Content Incorporated, mm -hmm. he, he brings us up so much. And I actually love the way that you said it. Of like, you know, I don't care if you're a tech CEO, you know, coming out of classified units, army special ops, what, right. whatever it is. Like, I don't care what your background is. Um, it's unlikely that there's nobody similar to you. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, there. There's probably nobody exactly like you, but there's probably a number of people who have some com commonality. Right, right. So what are you offering that they're not? Yeah. I feel like there's not nearly enough time spent on that. Um, and then let's back it up one step further of the like, yeah, but Mark, like, I really, I really got to write the book and give the speech and, and go, you know, start my podcast or do shows or whatever. Like, right. like I like, don't you know what I did in my career? Why no. should I have to do all this stuff? Right, right. So, and, and there's there's another part of this where actually I haven't been successful. Again, you'll see I'm pretty humble on these things. So as, you know, I have my book and I have my leadership talk. I get calls from companies all the time and they would say, hey, Mark, um, we love your talk, but we want you to do a little bit of a different angle on it. Can you talk about this? And I have not, and it's it's a ding on me. Um, it's based on my bandwidth and, and you know, I have my, with my own kind of health issues with kind of a traumatic, with the TBI, traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, how much can I really put into something? But, but for me to take several hours, days, weeks to do it, kind of a little, a different spin on my talk, I haven't done that. And that to me is, it was a detriment. Now, if you have the bandwidth to do that, you can be super successful. But a lot of times, you know, uh, companies would call and ask for something that is just not exactly in my lane. Uh, uh, you know, I, I remember one company was going to offer me a hell of a lot of money to come teach their executives on how to tell if people are lying. Okay, I could probably do it. Um, I probably would have to go on Amazon or buy a book or two, which is ridiculous. Because then you are kind of going back on the just the the cachet of the of the three le the three letters. But but what but you know I would I would say that you know another way to to kind of build your brand is be able to branch out a little bit, not just on the core. You know, the, my core thing is my leadership talk. Um, again, I, I haven't done that. It, it's based on just my inability to kind of just time management and also bandwidth. Um, but but you know you have to be again you have to be a little adaptable sometimes. Well. I appreciate that. I actually feel like there's two messages in there. There's the like, know who you are and be them on purpose. Yeah. And if you need to, if you need to branch out a little bit from the truck, that's okay. Right. Right. But also know who you're not. And when they call totally. and say, can you do this one? Yeah. Say like, oh, that's, that's not me. Right. Right. Can I, can I and refer so, you to someone? And, you know, I, I do this all. I mean, so, so, and, and this goes back to kind of a core principle about honesty and integrity at the agency. So many times, um, and I got really good at this again, later in my career. I would be up with the, the director of the CIA and they would say, you know, Mark, um, you know, ask me a question, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, do, 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 do we know this, in, you know, interior minister of Yemen, you know, you know, what's his background? And the best answer I would give up there, even though I was the deputy operations chief in the Middle East, I would be like, sir, I'm not sure this, this person is doing their position, but I'll get back to you. I, you know, my people have the information. So many people will not do that. They'll start saying, well, yeah, yeah. And they'll make, and, and they'll get things totally wrong. 
And so your ability to actually say, hey, I'm not sure, I'll go back, I'll check. And, and you know, you, you can take it as you know, where the discussion we're having now is, well, you know, you, you, you know, you can be a little bit adaptable, but you have to be authentic. Uh, and again, I, I it, 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 exactly, you know, what you, what you just alluded to, I've turned down some corporate stuff where people have asked me to do things. Oh, I'm yeah. like, that's not really, or, or even if, you know, MSNBC calls and say, hey, there's a North Korean missile launch. Can you come and talk about this? And I'm like, you know what? I know nothing on Asia. I can talk about the Middle East and Europe all day. I go on, I talk, I talk to Ukraine three times a week on TV. Um, on North Korea stuff, I don't know. Now, I could easily fake it. I will tell you right now I could because it's a 45-second TV hit. That's not who I want to be. Um, uh, it just, it's, I wouldn't even feel good about, about doing something like that unless I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to run through these one more time, sure. maybe just more concisely. In your mind, what's the advantage of having a book? What, what kind of opportunities does it bring oh, to you? Wow. What, what are the benefits of having had it's the book? Foundational. It's foundational. That, it, that's the hook. So if you write a book, and you know, my book was published by HarperCollins. So that was, that was, that was, and again, I had a good agent. So I got, I got a nice book deal. So that was really important. Um, but it's the foundation. It's something that you, it's tangible that when you go and, and if, again, if you're grinding away, if you're trying to get, you know, uh, you know, people to bring you on for kind of leadership talks or things like that, all you do is, you know, you're not referring to a website. You're not referring to an article. You're referring to a tangible thing. And guess what you do? You send it to them. And so, so often if I'm, you know, if I, if I'm in the, in the business, someone's, you know, it made an introduction, um, to a certain company, whether it's, you know, Google or Instagram, I have to, I'll send the, you know, that, that person who is their director of people or talent or whatever they're calling themselves. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll have a book with you and, you know, in a day or so read it. If you like it, I'll come talk to y'all. Um, it is foundational. And so the book to me was the smartest thing I ever did. I actually enjoyed writing it. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, too difficult. It was weird only because there's so much personal stuff in that. Um, and, and the other part too is, is, you know, again, if you write a book and depending on what you write is you're exposing yourself and, and talk about humility. I mean, you're putting yourself out for the kind of the whole world to see again, um, something that was, that was, uh, you know, really kind of really interesting to experience, but the, the book piece, if you can get a book deal, if you can write a book really important, because that, that's the foundation of everything you do and it's timeless. So, you know, and so, I, and here, here again, my crazy, you know, personality of never being satisfied. The book sells well for a month or two. It doesn't sell well. I go on a podcast, all of a sudden it's, there's, you know, the, the podcast runs 400 people buy the book and you're, you're feeling great. And then the next month, literally, you know, you know, you look at your book sales, which everybody obsesses about on Amazon, you can track them. And it says two people bought this book an entire month. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm the biggest failure. But none of that matters. Everybody I talk to says it doesn't matter because you'll have this book five years from now. If the principles hold, and they do, it's just, it's foundational. So that to me is a, is a really good start. Uh, and for me too, um, there is a certain cachet with books that you don't get in other forums because, because it used to be so hard to get a book deal and there weren't self-published books like this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, even though it's so easy these days for somebody to write their own book, hire their own editor and self-publish, we still get some of the prestige of, yeah. of what books used to be 40 years ago or, right. or even earlier, right? And, um, and HarperCollins, and, again, having HarperCollins behind me was really good. No, that's that huge. Was, yeah, that's that huge. Was huge. Not, yeah. not everybody can get that. But, no, I was, but yeah. just that, you know, the, the tangibleness, I think you really yep. hit it on the head. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of multiple books right now. Uh, <laughs> What one of them is uh, just taking all the different folks who've been on the show who have personally been a founder growing from zero to a billion. Oh, wow. And so kind of just taking the, you know, 15 right. or so folks like that. And I'm just doing like, it's just a book of my favorite quotes from each of them. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but uh, I, I'm going to switch. Let's talk about shows. Sure. So yeah. 
in your mind, uh, if you had to make a pitch for why would somebody want to have their own podcast, what, what would be your what would be your thought? I mean, you know, there's there's you know, it's it, it again, it it shows that you're serious. Um, it's not easy doing. Uh, I, I, I don't have my own podcast. You obviously do, but the 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 amount of time and effort that goes into it, and and if you if you can and, and you're good at this, so I'm going to give you some praise. But if you end up uh, being able to conduct interviews well, that's a really interesting skill. And I've been on podcasts where you know the the post is the one talking the whole time, and it's okay, and I'll just kind of you know you know grind through it. But but if you can master that genre of or master that skill of of being a really good interviewer, I'm going to switch over something crazy and just doesn't it makes sense or not. But you know Howard Stern, who you know Howard Stern has been a controversial figure his whole career, and and people have opinions on him. If you listen to Howard Stern right now, he is a master at the interview of really important kind of you know world figures. He doesn't do the crazy stuff he did before with all that kind of silliness. And so when you when you hear someone who actually uh, or see someone who knows how to conduct an interview, um, that's a that's a that's a pretty big deal. And and the other part is you know you have a platform. You know you get to choose your guests and have people you know interesting people come on. And uh, you know it's a I think it's a, it's something I I've thought of doing. I don't think I'm going to do it. I just I don't have the bandwidth. Um, but I will say you know I, I do a ton of podcasts because I like the format. And the other piece um, that I think is really important is that it gives you the ability and your guest the ability to go into kind of long form discussions. You know, there's nothing worse than a 45 second TV hit or, or, or you know, interview uh, or, you know, on, on, even on the radio. But a podcast you can do, you know, and, you know, there's there's time limits. I mean, some people do these like three hour podcasts. That's hard to 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 do in just in terms of, of you know, someone sitting through it. But but, you know, ultimately, you know, I think a podcast is, a, is the it can be so useful and it's it, it builds your brand. And, and then, of course, so you, you have a book, you have a podcast and then you start doing things. Probably your next question, you know, you do kind of email newsletters, things like that. Um, it's just, it's building your brand and just, you know, putting out, uh, so, you know, what are you trying to say to, to people? Um, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a great venue. Certainly in my you know, kind of in the leadership field, you know, there's, there's a, there's a whole bunch of podcasts and it's a lot of fun going on. And, it, and, and you're and the other thing too, is, you know, your guests really appreciate that as well. And, and the, the, the one of the things that I've always done, I think it's important. And, and what someone who's starting a podcast is, you know, make sure you have guests who come on and then the, the, there's a responsibility of the guests to also promote the show. So when this thing comes out, you know, you're probably going to write, hey, this is going to come out on this X, Y, and C date. And my response is, I'll put it out on, uh, on, you know, on Twitter and LinkedIn because that's really good for both of us. Um, and then, and, and the last piece on that, sorry, that, that, that just coming to my mind is the relationships you build. Um, because it's it not, again, it's not a 45 second, you know, interview. It's a, it's a two hour conversation. And you, you say, hey, I remember doing that. Um, and so, so, you know, and, and you know, it, you know, we end up kind of, uh, you know, building this network of folks. Um, it can help each other down the road. You know, uh, so I agree with everything you said, uh, but that last one is kind of a different one for me because nobody would spend, like we, we charge, you know, we're, we're not cheap. You know, we're, we say we're good, not cheap, right? Right. And, um, and there's hardly any other services that are willing to like guarantee, you know, a list of multimillionaires as your guests, right? Right. Like that's yeah. something unique that we offer with anybody else right. to like guarantee that, right? I one of my very favorite things from this show is making friends. Yeah, like totally, it's it's so dumb. Like people say, like you know, like don't you already have friends, Jess, or something? I don't know, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But no, I I get to meet so many of my heroes, so many like mentors. I've read their book twenty times or something. Like, um, and that that fanboy thing is fun for a minute, but then like finding out like no, they're as awesome as like they're as awesome as I thought they were gonna be. 
Yeah. And then staying in touch and like getting advice for our charity or or just doing things like it's like a quality of life benefit. I agree. I agree. Um, and, you know, and, 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 but and, and th- I think back to my old world. And so you know, this actually you know, is making more sense. Why It's probably why I like doing all these podcasts is meeting all these people and having kind of this eclectic group of friends. So, you know, my kids, you know, who grew up with, you know, my, my wife worked for the agency too. She's retired, but, you know, so, so they would be like, well, dad, you know, what a weird world we had where, you know, c- coming over for dinner one night, it would be someone from SEAL Team 6. And then another would be an Arab prince. And then you have someone who, you know, looked like they were like running drugs, not drugs, sorry, running like guns in Africa for the agency. Uh, just like crazy stuff. Uh, not drugs. I apologize for that. But, you know, but, uh, but, or, or, or just, you know, just strange in- or unique individuals. You know, there's a, you know, oh, that, that, you know, a, a pilot in the Air Force is coming, you know, over, you know, what does he do? He flies predators. And my, you know, my kids don't say anything, but after they put it, put it together and they're like, what a weird bunch of individuals you had. Um, you know, uh, over the years. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's what life is. It's just kind of that this interesting eclectic group of, of people we have, you know, the Middle East, I mean, I, I just, I, we had such interesting friends. You'd have missionaries, uh, who had more Middle Eastern experience than any CIA case officer. You'd have, you know, priests and nuns who lived in Syria for years. Well, what an interesting view of life in the Middle East. So I would just collect these kind of, um, it really, you know, you know, folks who, who, you know, were, you know, really stimulating and interesting. And so I think it, it's the same thing on, on podcasts as well, where you just cannot have this, you know, you end up meeting a lot of, a lot of interesting folks and, and the other things all around the country too. Um, and you, and people do call on each other for stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, like, if, you, if you need some help on things. I'll, I'll consistently get invited you know, to the shows over guests will say, Hey, you know, if you make it out here, let's go to lunch, you know, Absolutely, or, yeah. yeah. And, or like, you know, again, recruiting so many people from your community to our charity. Like right. we've had, you know, all these different guys from, from Delta say it, say yeah. it at our house over time. And our kids, yeah. my kids last year, say, oh, is that this, you know, or right, like, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys who start hundred million dollar tech companies when they're coming skiing in Park City, Park yeah. City, like Not my by. wife and I'll go out to dinner with them and stuff, you know? Yeah. And Wait, well, here, you also realize these are normal people. Uh, you know, what are the, I, I did a podcast uh, with the International Spy Museum and it was, and it was a great idea. And it was, it was the, they were doing a comparison between baseball and espionage. And so it was me and Ryan Zimmerman, who was, you know, a famous baseball player for the Washington Nationals. And so I'm going there and I'm like, I'm trying not to be a fanboy. I'm like, I'm going to try to be really kind of a calm, cool customer. And, and then when, when he meets him, he's like, Hey, you had a cool job. And I'm like, no, you actually had a cool job. And it just, you know, and it turns out, but, but the body, he turns out to be a normal person. He lives a town over, you know, what is he doing now in retirement? He's, he has four young kids. You know, and he's like, hey, what restaurant do you like? That's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, these are, everyone is actually a, a relatively normal person. Even if they have had this, you know, crazy job or tremendous success, they still wake up in the morning. They got to take their kids to school. They got problems like everyone else. I, I'm going to say shockingly normal. Okay. Yeah, right. Like uh, last week I had our wealthiest guest we've ever had on, like personally wealthiest. Right. Uh, guy's worth like $6 billion because he grew Lululemon from zero to 40 oh, billion. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when you build a $40 billion company and you hold some equity, right? Yeah. Chip Wilson. Okay. And um, I'm such a fan because he built like the coolest snowboard brand to ever come out of Canada called West Beach. So it was okay. like surf gear, sur- sur- skateboard gear, and then surf gear, right. snowboard gear when I was a teenager. And so I was like texting all my friends. Guess what? I'm having the founder of West, West Beach on the show. Right. Um, you would get along with Chip so well because you guys are basically the same person. Right. He is like, He's never done. He's got energy. He's like, uh, he's in his 60s now. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to do next. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but he grew up 
so it ends up he grew up uh so i'm an american born abroad grew up in in western canada in alberta right and uh and his dad was an american who had gone up oh, wow. and married an alberta girl like my dad right you know and both of us had had times in the oil fields you know trying to make a lot of money as as teenagers you know late teenagers and right and uh he'd had all these businesses ups and downs and we had the surf skate industry background whatever right and like you know we're separated in age by 20 something years Right. But like, I want to be his buddy. Now he doesn't need yeah. any more buddies. But <laughs> but um, but after this thing was over and we're shooting the breeze, I was like, man, it'd be so fun to do one of these in person. If I come snowboarding Whistler, you know, take my kids snowboarding Whistler. He's like, I'm in. Sure. Like it was, you know. And uh, anyway, because they probably. I mean, so the other thing that people don't, you know, especially with famous people, and I'm not one at all. But I, I you know, you, you meet a lot of famous people, and you're like, hey, you want to have lunch? They're, you know, I'll be in Boston. And they're like, sure. And you're just like. It was because you said they just they don't expect you to ask, and uh, and and again it's uh, you know one of the things that this has opened up for me is kind of having um, access to to people I didn't have access to before. I just find they're totally normal and they have normal problems in life and um, you know no different than than any of us. And and no and, and the other thing is they end up being interested in what you did and do, and so it kind of it's kind of fun. I mean the, the idea that someone is actually you know I mean it, it happens all the time that they're enthralled with the you know. What a CIA case officer did. I mean, I still find it somewhat amusing because ultimately, I you know I still go shopping at Giant, um, just like everybody else. My kids, you know, played Little League and now they're grown up. It's I'm you know I, I had a, I had a very unique job and was asked uh, by the U.S. government to do a lot of unique things, but you know, pretty normal. <laughs> I, I drive a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck which has eighty thousand miles on it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll finish off with this one. Um, in your mind, if you had to make the pitch to folks. Why, why, go, why bother going and doing public speaking? What, what are the benefits business-wise? Sure. Um, uh, public speaking to me is your ability to not, not necessarily sell yourself, but it's the ability to show clients, customers, you know, who you really are, show a side to them um, that they don't get from a written book, um, even from a podcast. And, uh, and the key part for me on public speaking, and, and I've gotten really good at it, and I wasn't for a long time, but I've gotten really good at it now, is you get comfortable at it, but it's the interaction of the audience. So I will never go give a one-hour speech. I will walk up there, and, they're, and if there's someone in the front row falling asleep, I'm on them. I don't care what client it is. Um, and, and, my, and the leadership talk is totally interactive, and it's fun, and you feed off that. And so it's the ability to interact, uh, uh, to me, is what, uh, you know, what, what makes it uh, you know, so incredibly valuable. But you know, the, the, the best success I've had is not the book. Um, it is, it is certainly, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's public speaking and, and just, you know, cause you can, people can speed off your energy. I mean, I'm not boring and I tell great stories. Um, and you know, and now, now not everyone is like that. And so some people, I mean, here's the other thing, like some people start off and you're like, I'm terrified to get up there. Well, if you're that much of an introvert, maybe it's not for you, but you also will get better. And, and trust me, my, you know, when I was on, when I'm on, I'm on TV a lot now and I'm much better than I was in the past. And I do a lot of public speaking. And I'm a, I'm a heck of a lot better than I, when I, when I first, I, I don't get nervous anymore getting up there. So it's my, that's my kind of happy place. Cause I'm going to interact with an audience. Um, now, sometimes the audience is dead and I'm trying everything and I'm getting somewhere and then you walk up the stage you're like, well, hell well, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't it. But, um, but uh, you know, I, and I, and I finish, I think that to conclude on this, you know, I would, especially in the, in the, in the, uh, in the public talks, I would say to myself, okay, if two or three or four or five people, whatever it is. You know, maybe not if it's an audience of 200, but if I got through to just a couple folks and you know, afterwards, cause they're come up, I'm talking to you, you know, then, then, you know, aside from the fact if I was paid or not or whatever, but I, I really won because they're going to take something back 
to their organization. So again, it's, I think it's the, that interact, the personal interaction is awesome. I love doing it. I didn't at first, but I absolutely love it now. Well, I think about it, I totally agree with you. And I think about it, like, you know, this idea of the formula, like your performance multiplied by, you know, your reputation, essentially, like, do people know about you? And what do they know about you? Right. Is going gonna, is gonna to turn into the dollars in the end, right? Um, I think about like, the, like, if you think, so I call this credibility marketing, right? It's like the three legs right. of the stool, like the book, the text, the, you know, the, the written, right? Then there's like the, the show or the social media or like the, the repeated thing where you're saying yep. top mind. But then there's something magic about in person. You just oh, yeah. can't quite get any other way, right? And that, yep. like, think about, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like every time I get asked to speak, like going and spending time with the leadership team before and then yeah. after. after. And like, yeah. there's just stuff that happens when it's in person and there's this human to human factor. Yeah. You just can't get otherwise, it feels like. Again, so, you know, when I just had spoke to, again, the University of Louisiana baseball, and I met with the coaching staff before, the, it was a two hour talk in their locker room, which is about 2000 degrees. This team was so locked in already. Great coaching staff, great leadership culture there. It was the best talk I think I've ever done. And afterwards, I went out to dinner with the with the head coach, and I was like, "Holy cow, that was amazing!" And we just, it was, it was, it was really cool to wrap things up. And, um, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's, there just that, to, and and of course, I have all these, you know, baseball players now from that that team calling me and asking me for advice on stuff, and um, which that's the other thing too. I, one other one other point on that to kind of throw out, and, and not everybody can do this, um, uh, but I will I will say in a talk, I'll say this is my email address. Write an email. I, I actually answer every email. You know, I get some hate mail every once in a while. You can't help it. I was at where I worked in the past, um, but but I answer every email or every you know uh, uh, d- you know DM on Twitter. I really do. Um, if it's something that if people want to say, hey, I've got something I want to talk to you about on leadership or or just a, a lot of college kids when I go talk and interested in national security. But uh, I would say that you know being accessible like that, and people are like, I can't believe you answered me. Why? Again, I I, I drive it old pickup truck and I go to Giant every day. You know, I might have this kind of cachet of where I work. Um, uh, but being acceptable to your audience is really important. Um, uh, and I think that, you know, that, that's part of the humility part too. But I, I love that interaction with folks. Well, uh, let's talk about, I, I don't want to skim over this. Let's talk about the mindset of like, you know, I've heard this thing, like if you never want to be criticized, make sure not to do anything, be anything or have anything. <laughs> right. right? Get in the arena. Get so, ready. Uh, you, you probably get worse hate mail than most of the business people who, who are ever going to put themselves out there. Can you talk about your mindset of just of, of not letting it get to you? Sure. And so um, I think that, the, you know, the first thing you do, uh, you know, the CIA is a controversial organization. So some people will not like you. Now, interestingly, in America, for a long time, the, the left hated the CIA. Well, now the right hates the CIA. So it's, you know, I guess everybody hates you. So maybe you're doing something right. Um, uh, no, but on a serious note, if, if you want to put yourself out there in public, you're going to get some criticism. Now, um, uh, that, that's something that, that I think I already, I had thick skin already because of the job I had again, where, you know, we had, you know, uh, uh, you know, high success, you know, uh, 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 but also high risk. And I failed a lot. And there were some terrible things in my career that happened with loss of life of my fellow colleagues or, or, or agents as well. And so, you know, you get, you get kind of, you know, pretty thick skin. Also in managing, you know, a thousand people I, I, there, you know, we, we do things at the agency. It was called the, these, it's kind of in the business world, of course, the 360 feedback sessions. And my favorite feedback session ever, um, when it, there was two things someone wrote, probably the same person. And I, and at first I was like, oh my God, because it actually, I was stunned and that, but I really took it to heart. Um, and the, and the first was Mark is, Mark thinks he's a lot smarter than he really is, which I thought was 
funny, but I was like, okay, because that, you know, that's a perception issue. So, but the, the next one was, was, was actually really hit me. And he said, Mark's got to be careful with the words he chooses because, you know, he has so much credibility and his reputation is so, you know, is, is so good at the agency. His words really have meaning. And sometimes, you know, he's, or, or he should really choose his word widely, meaning sometimes I'm a little too flip. I probably, you know, don't think uh, uh, before I say something. So those feedback sessions I was used to. Um, and so again, going into the public sphere, you're going to get criticized on stuff. And, and, uh, you know, it just, that's, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the way it is. It's, it's something you're putting yourself out there in front of a lot of people. Not everyone's going to love you And America, frankly is, you know, so, and the leadership stuff sort of when I, when I do stuff on, you know, talking about kind of a foreign policy and things like that, there are people on the left and the right who always get mad at me and I get a lot of hate mail. And if it's, if it's nasty, if it's, you know, dangerous and some of that happens, obviously that's a issue with law enforcement. And I have a great relationship with our local police department who has us, you know, is listed as a high threat residence because I get a lot of hate mail. Um, that's different than someone saying like, you know, it's, you know, if, if you go and every author does this, like you, you read your reviews on Amazon, they're not always great. You know, and, and, and there was, I remember a, a former colleague of mine who I really respect in an intelligence journal reviewed my book and it was, it was lukewarm at best. And, uh, you know, uh, is, you know, it's that, that's okay. And, and I, and actually read it very carefully because I wanted to see if, you know, did he make, and you know, he wasn't wrong in some of the things he said. I mean, it basically it's is when I joked with you before, like, am I going to get invited to give my, my leadership talk at, in a, at, at the, at the, you know, Harvard business school? Well, maybe not. It's not, it's not what it's designed for. And I think his criticism of my book was that it wasn't advanced enough for his liking. Okay. Um, not, not totally, that's not totally unfair, uh, but you got to have thick skin. Uh, and, and, it, and talk about getting in the arena again, my God, I'm nothing like going, you know, giving a leadership talk in, in front of 200 people or going on TV in front of a million people. Um, you know, it's uh, but it, it's the notion of, of putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. And I think that's really healthy. And that's what I, you know, I, I, but, but there, there's going to be some people who don't like it. My kid, my, my family, my wife and my kids still love me. That's what matters the most. You know, uh, Warren Buffett says, uh, was asked, you know, what's real success? And he says, when you're ending your life, if the people that you love, love you back. Absolutely. You know, and I have a core group of friends. First of all, you know, my family, if I said tomorrow, hey, I want to go be a barista at Starbucks, they'll be like, go. And they don't care at all. None of this matters to them one way or another. You know, my, my son's playing college baseball as long as I go to his games. Uh, my daughter's graduated from school and, you know, I, I, I see her and, you know, my wife and I, you know, we have a house down in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. So we spend time at the beach as long as you know, we're all, you know, happy and healthy. That's, that's what, what really matters. And you, you have to put that in perspective. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I think, you know, at the agency, again, talking about work-life balance that, that, I, that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of leave at the very top of the organization, but, you know, maybe they're, you know, they've, they've been divorced or their kids you know, have issues with their kids because they put in too much time there. You know, they neglected some of the kind of fundamental things in life. And so, you, you know, I, I, this is not practicing um, I didn't practice what I'm preaching now, but I do, I do talk about work-life balance. That is important. Um, I didn't do that very well. Unfortunately, my family is still intact, but a lot of people don't have that. Uh, and, and, you know, this is not, I mean, my, one of my favorite things, I, I sit around with all my friends who are retired from the agency and they're, they're so, they're a bunch of cranky SOBs because they're like, look at this new generation, how much they demand. Oh my God. And I'm like, you, you all sound terrible. Thank God you're not a manager right now because, because, you know, the, you know, um, the people coming into workforce, you know, do have different expectations than when I joined and that's okay. And if you can't kind of understand that, um, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, you know, you know, you know, being a servant leader or, you know, work-life balance and understanding, you know, being, showing empathy as a leader, all the things that you really have to do. 
a lot of my colleagues, you know, were not able to do that. I think that's a mistake. I got off on a tangent there, but that's, that's my, that's my two cents. Okay. Maybe my final question will be, um, you are someone who doesn't seem to be intimidated, uh, when it comes to the idea of continuous improvement and needing to add a new skill set and being willing to be bad at something on your way to being good at it. Uh, you just kind of exude this. So this is something I aspire to. If you had any advice for me or anybody listening when it comes to embracing continuous improvement, embracing oh, like yeah. scaling ourselves for the rest of our lives right. uh, and, and not begrudging it, but, but like really getting after it. What kind of thoughts do you have for us? I mean, it's, it's just that. I mean, you're, you're not expected to be good at something that you haven't practiced. Um, when you jump into something new, again, for me, it was, it was going on television a lot. Um, public speaking to some extent, uh, but, but going on TV, I look back at those first TV hits and I was like, I can't even watch those. I was nervous. I was stuttering. I was forgetting things. And so what do you do? So, you know, I would do things like we did at the agency and after action review, I'd be like, I'd watch it. Um, I don't always do that because there's at some point we could do that too much, but I would say, okay, well, so, you know, what did I do wrong there? Well, then I came up with the way I do some of these things now is first of all, you know, I, and this is going to sound, these are really techniques, you know, you do some deep breathing, you kind of calm down, you relax. If you're going to go on TV, I would say, look, I, I, sometimes I try to get in six or seven points. I'm going to get in two points right now. I'm going to focus on these two things I want to say. I'm going to speak slowly. Um, uh, uh, and, um, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the most important part was if I'm uncomfortable with the question, this is what happens in the TV business. Answer something else. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So if they say, you know, Mark, what do you think about President Trump? And, you, and, and your response would be like, well, actually, I, you know, the CIA serves all presidents. And, and, you know, that's kind of the ethos. I answered nothing what they asked. I didn't stutter through some kind of answer that's going to get me in trouble. But so the point is I learned over time. I would do these kind of after, after action reviews each time. Um, and that, that was really helpful. But, but, but uh, it, you shouldn't expect um, to be really good at something that you haven't practiced at. And then the last piece is, you know, you know doing things repeatedly over time is, is really important. Um, especially when you're kind of outside of your, going outside your comfort zone, that's right. You got to go back in there. You got to, this, these are all the cliches, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Oh my God, that was horrible today. The best thing for me, when I screwed something up and a, a TV hit is when I know that, Hey, tomorrow I'm on again, thank God. Or even that night, if I'm on it a week, I'm having a bad week stressing about this. If I'm on tomorrow, I'm like, all right, I'm going to fix what I did. And, and, and here I go. And. Again, it's either you got, you know, it's just it's the idea of humility. And the, I think the last point is you're never as bad as you really think you were. Uh, uh, and and the, and the final point is um, you're brave to be doing this. I mean, so that's the one thing that my kids always would tell me too is like, you know, your friends don't necessarily, my old colleagues don't necessarily do this. So if you're going to speak out on something, you're going on TV, you wrote this book on leadership, I'm talking about Havana syndrome and the need for medical care for officers. You know, you're stepping up and doing something for someone and other people are not. So even if you screw it up, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're in the arena again. And so, so to me that where there is a, there is a nobility in that, but I, I've failed plenty you know, you gotta get it. You know, what's the, the old SAF model that the motto, they always say dare to fail really important. Um, you can't be scared of, of, of failing. Don't, you know, you know don't, 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 uh, accept failure. Cause that's kind of thrown in the towel, you know, um, uh, uh, but no, but, but failing is something you're going to do. That's how you get better. I can't top that. I think that's, I think that's a wrap. I had some mic drop right there. All right. That was awesome. Good. I I had a great time. That was fun. So I, so you're out in Utah, correct? So at at some point I'll do like a, a, you know, a Western swing and I will come out and visit you. I'm not a great, I've I've been skied for a long time, but I will certainly come on out. I have friends 
um, you know, like half my agency friends are all, are all at, uh, out in, uh, in Whitefish in Montana. Oh, okay. Um, they've moved out. They, they've have this they love it out there and so i gotta i gotta make a trip out west so i will i will stop in and say hi yeah come um, to park and city i'll buy you lunch absolutely. And, and i gotta go see jack carr as well former seal oh yeah you know, he, he's just 20 minutes up the street yeah for me so right I, I i chatted with him over the years so yeah so i gotta make a trip out there i would it would be an honor if i could come out and meet you that'd be fun i would i would enjoy that so much listen um i'd love to just stay in touch like if you have another book come out if like yeah sure just consider yourself part of the family like you know Whatever you do, when you do something big next year, just hit me up and be like, "Hey, can I come back on the show and talk oh, about sure. this?" And we'll, we'll book yep. you. You know what yeah. I mean? And if you have any, you know, any of your, any of your kind of, you know, very wealthy folks that come on and need some leadership talks, you know, recommend me to them. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what makes it easy though is I'm just going to recommend your book. Absolutely. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And say like, yeah. "Hey, you should check out this book." And if you want, I can get in touch with him. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Like yeah. such a great opener. Um, awesome. And you know, maybe if we end up need some advice on our our course for the cops we can call on sure get you, absolutely. Get you to review a course like or something no no i, I actually I, I would enjoy that too and i know you know i, I do a lot of work with silly pd different kind of stuff just to, in terms of, of leadership but i my my engagement with law enforcement has been super rewarding i've i've loved my time going there and so um that was it they, they had me out through the philly police department my son and i went down there and we met kyle schwarber um before one of the phillies games and it was a, it was a lot of fun so uh, Philly's a, a nice blue collar city. I like this. So good cheesesteaks there. But I'm coming out to Utah. I promise you that. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank Thanks you very again. much. This was yeah. fun.